Parish, it's Wednesday. It's Wednesday night. It's March 9th in the year 2016. This is the Ion College Basketball Podcast. I got Matt Norlander with me. I got Sam Bassini with me. Lots to get to, obviously. It is championship week. You guys fired up. It's championship week. Matt, Sam, you fired up. It's championship week for crying out loud. So fired. A hundred fire emojis over here. So hard. <laughs> do you do you emoji? Do you use emojis? I still, at this point in my life, it's honestly not true. I've never used an emoji in my entire life. No. Never once? Never once. Not one. I think it, it used to be I had these rules that I put in place for myself. I, I should probably put different rules in place for myself, but I haven't. But these are the rules that I put in place for myself. I would never like a tweet. I never liked the tweet. But then I, I scrapped that. I started liking tweets. I, I used the like function on Twitter as a de facto. Um, Acknowledgement? Hey, yeah. I know I've noticed this. Yeah, like, hey, hey, thank you. That's, it's my way of saying thank you. Because I, I don't like looking at somebody's Twitter feed and then seeing a whole bunch of like, hey, thank you. Hey, thanks for, thanks for that. Hey, I appreciate that. It just seems silly. I, I don't have time to sit around and tell everybody thank you. But the like button is a way for me to just say, hey, I saw what you tweeted and I appreciated it. So I started using the like button, but I still haven't used an emoji to this day. I never used an emoji. I might get Kimoji, though. I could do that. Okay. Start I do use I do use emojis occasionally, and have, I was kind com- of anti emoji to start with. But do you have I've, do you have Kimoji? Do you have Kimoji? Do not, and I will not be getting Kimoji. I can I can say that with one hundred percent certainty. What if my first ever emoji, Sam, is Kim Kardashian's butt? Yeah, I was gonna say I honestly had no idea what Kimoji was while you were talking. What about that. they made they made a million a minute. They made a million a minute. <laughs> okay. They shut down. Good. The, it'll get Kanye out of debt. They shut down the Apple Store. Sam, where have no you been? Idea. You guys don't know what you're talking. You don't know anything about this. I know emojis. I had no idea that you know Apple got shut down because of they, Kim Kardashian emojis. They shut down the Apple Store. They made a million a minute. They made a million a minute. They made a million a minute. A million dollars. What would what what would a Gary emoji set be? Uh, you'd have um, you'd have ridiculous hats on backwards. You would have vodka vodka soda Red Bulls. <laughs> you would you would have um, sugar free Red uh, Bull. Big, uh, Norlander. Yeah, that's true. Sugar-free you'd, have pristine, you'd have pristine teeth. You would have a wiffle ball bat and a wiffle ball, of course. Right. Um, a lot of options to go with. What else? I don't know. Let's, let's stop talking about what my emojis would be. Let's talk about what Tom Crean's emojis would be. Okay. <laughs> oh, wow. Chris, I, I did look. I forgot to bring that up on the previous podcast. There, I, Unless I just am not seeing it, there is no ladder emoji, but there is a pretty good scissor emoji. So <laughs> somebody, somebody tweeted us. I, it might have been all of us. I know it was definitely me because I saw it, and they were like, hey, stop talking about Tom Crean in the ladder, and let's talk about Indiana's basketball team. No way. I got no interest nope. in Indiana. I got no interest Don't in Indiana. Don't care. Don't care about Indiana's basketball team. They can. Oh, should we should we shout out the woman who sent us a uh, Tom Crean shirt idea? Yes, we should. Yeah. What is her name? Oh my God, Nina something. Let's Nina, I don't remember the last name. Let's look her up. She was a sweet woman to send us yeah. that. Um, me, yep, it was great Ni- person. It was Nina. It was God. Let me find this. It was. I have it. It was, it was Nina, Nina Swanson. Swanson. Nina Swanson. Shout out to Nina Swanson. She actually designed the Tom Crean ladder T-shirt for us. So uh, we'll be having those made probably by the time we record the next podcast. Also, shout out to Devin Downey. There we go. All right. Let's uh, – you want to hit these mid-major teams or what? I guess, or I could keep talking about Kimoji. It doesn't matter to me. 
No, I mean, I, I fear that you're going to be going on for like 10 minutes if I don't, if I don't get this train on the track <laughs> Okay, here. here we go. So it's championship week, and we've had uh, automatic bids being delivered night after night after night. Meantime, Valpo lost. That was number one seed. Monmouth lost, number one seed. St. Mary's lost, number one seed. Hofstra lost, number one seed. Wichita State, of course, lost over the weekend. That was a number one seed. The bubble is getting filled up, right? I mean, so it's a, it's a, it's a full bubble. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's definitely a full bubble. Is that a, is that a term? Are... Did I just did I just invent that word, that phrase? The full bubble. <laughs> Matt, <laughs> Matt, you have to stop him on this one. I can't. There, you did not invent any sort of phrase, GP, being with a full bubble. But if you'd like to start getting into these teams and this full bubble and the fact that basically the first time in a decade, if not longer, this bubble that you are filling up in your mind and maybe in existence. Hashtag is... full bubble. Which is more populated with mid-major teams than we've seen in a long time. It's going to be, you know, we spoke about how Wichita State is the most interesting bubble case, maybe ever. I still stick to that, but now this is becoming a super intriguing year because Wichita State has a lot of company here. Uh, you know, the Valpo, the Valpo loss is brutal. And by the way, it was not just that Valpo loss, but Oakland was like the clear number two team in the Horizon League and had. A guy, honestly, in Kay Felder, who better be on, like, we're going to make a first and a second and a third team. He has to be on that third-team All-American list, if not second team. His numbers have been ridiculous. And he's GP's kind of guy because he's not even six feet tall. And Parrish basically falls in love with any player who doesn't crack five foot eleven. So, hey, hey, um, hey, hey, go ahead. Ask the question. Who wrote the Kay Felder column earlier this season? You had it down, man. That I don't begrudge you for it. That was me. So, but but Oakland doesn't even get there either. Shout out to Green Bay. Shout out to Kiefer Sykes. Shout out to uh, Link Darner. Shout out yeah. to Link Darner. Without a doubt. Hey, it's great. They haven't been there in 20 years. But because of this now, Valpo, 26 and six, went 16 to 16 and two in the Horizon League, 52 RPI, really good road record. I think it has the best road record of any of the teams that we've discussed. It's 12 and four away from home. Um, and it is four and two against the top 100 in the RPI. To me, I mean, let's let's do this. I don't know if you guys have gotten a chance to rank, and or maybe just let's let's list off who you would put most to least deserving among Valpo, Wichita State, Hofstra, St. Mary's. What's the fifth one? I'm forgetting. Valpo, Wichita State, Hofstra, St. Mary's, Monmouth, Monmouth. So. How would you guys rank those in terms of most to least deserving? Uh, so I, I, yeah, I guess I guess deserving is kind of in the you want to like we can rank, the beholder we can rank there, best to worst. All if of you want to rank, yeah, all of these words are difficult because like, what does deserving mean, right? We can get into all these philosophical yeah. debates, you know. Like, I, I think out of those, which shall say it's the best team. You know, Wichita State's the best I agree team. with that. Um, but, like, do they deserve it? We've been through their resume. Like, we literally spent 25 minutes on their resume the other day. Um, I don't know that they deserve it. I do know that they're one of the best teams, though. I know that they're the best. I think they're the best team out of that group. I know they're one of the best 36 at-large candidates available. But do they deserve it? I don't know if they deserve it. All right, let me let me reset this real quick here. Let's I, definitely I'll say talk this. I, I think that, like, I think that all of – uh, Wichita, Valpo, and St. Mary's are among the 36 best at large teams in the country. I would put them all in the tournament. Uh, I would rather see, and there's evidence and like actual research that has been done that these high performing mid majors perform better in the NCAA tournament than middling low or middling high major teams like Syracuse, 
Pittsburgh, Florida, um, any SEC school, basically, outside of Kentucky and Texas A&M. Like, we're at the point where we actually have the evidence that these schools perform better in the NCAA tournament. I know that it's a year-by-year thing where every case is different, but to a point, like, these are really good basketball teams. If you actually watch them on the floor, these are really good basketball teams. St. Mary's beat Gonzaga, who was number 26 in Ken Palm, two times this year. Valpo went on the road. Beat Oregon State this year. Played Oregon really tough this year on the road. Beat Iona. Beat Rhode Island. Beat Oakland. Like, these are good teams that, you know, maybe because they don't play in these high major leagues, they don't get the chances. But I would rather see those teams in because I think they have a better chance of winning multiple games. I agree with that. All right. Okay, so real quick here. Uh, I agree. Uh, Sam, um, the... I don't. I don't have the data in front of me, or the the story, or the evidence about the mid majors, but um, that's definitely intriguing, and I'd love to see that. Um, mm-hmm. I, I would rank the, two things. I would rank them in terms of best to worst. I would go Wichita, and I mean barely above Valpo, because I think Valpo is really, really, really good. Um, I actually think it's undervalued in Kempom right now. It's at thirty-eight. Wichita State is hanging strong at eleven. Um, I think I would go, I, I think I go Monmouth third, St. Mary's fourth, Hofstra fifth. Hofstra is deserving of being in the conversation. I think it, it does not have a chance of getting into the NCAA tournament, but I want to be fair to a team that was pretty solid in the CAA, was really good away from home, uh, had, a, had a great player in Yuani Green. Uh, fantastic overall. I just don't think they have a realistic shot, whereas the other four are probably um, going to feel like they've got more of a chance. I do want to drop an anecdote here. So I went into New York City on Tuesday morning for CBS and Turner's annual NCAA tournament media day, where they basically put like everyone you see on TV from the play-by-play announcers to the color commentators to studio people. You know, Barkley's there, Nance is there, Kenny Smith, Seth Davis. Shout out to Seth Davis, of course. Shout out to Had Seth good- Davis. Had a great little convo about how he loves the podcast. Um, so, uh, but who was also there? Joe Castiglione, the athletic director at Oklahoma, who was also the committee chair for the tournament this year. I straight up asked him if he has a KenPalms.com subscription. He said he looks at it every day. And he did tell me, we kind of spoke informally, um, but he did tell me that it is about what teams are better than which and not necessarily resume, but as always... They qualify it. It is not simply that because they're going to take what teams they think are the best unless their resumes are enough of a deterrent to kind of push them out. So he, you know, he's spoken obviously in vague terms. Um, You know, uh, I I, I believe in speaking to him, if I had to pick that Wichita State will get in. But he didn't say like, oh, I've looked at Wichita State, look straight, look really strong. It's not that. Within the dis- discussion that we had when he's talking about the fact that he looks at Sagarin and KPI and Ken Palm, and those things are taken heavily into account, not just by him, but by, my, by many committee members. To me, when you and, – and let's also acknowledge that Wichita State could be an outlier within Ken Palm. I think that's something we didn't say on the last podcast, and we need to at least say that, you know what, sometimes, and Pomeroy's admitted this, because Wisconsin vexed his algorithms for years, and he actually had to change his system because Wisconsin would have seasons when it really wasn't like a top-10 team, and it was clearly just like cruising into the top of his rankings. So there could be a little of that with Wichita State. 
one last thing I'll say is even if that's true, and even if you want to say Wichita State is a top 25 team and should be 23, 24, 25 in those rankings, it still is a worthy candidate for inclusion. I will say this. A man who acknowledges publicly that he looks at Ken Palm every single day is probably going to put or like help put Wichita State in the tournament, right? I would think that. It w- yeah, but there's no guarantee because – because you know what? There, he could very easily get outvoted. Of too. course. I, uh, yeah, I understand the process. I'm just saying that, that if I were Greg Marshall, I would be excited to hear you say that. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Um, so but G- but, but to, to, Sam's, to Sam's larger point, I agree completely. Like, Joe Lenardi has said something interesting and tweeted something interesting over the past couple of days, which is, and I, I don't know if I want a hard and fast rule like this, but – Hey, you got to be above 500 in your league, including in league in in games against league opponents, including your league tournament, to be considered for the NCAA tournament. Now, you get into a little because of unbalanced schedules, it can get a little sketchy. But I think fundamentally that that's true. Like, if you can't finish, if you can't win more games than you lose against opponents in your own league, I don't even care what your schedule is, then you're not a threat to win the national championship. And I think sometimes that gets lost. Like, what is the point of having this tournament? I mean, make a billion dollars. I get it. I mean, all that stuff. <laughs> right. <laughs> the point of the tournament is to make a billion dollars. That's, that's why. <laughs> okay, okay. I got it. But if you could take that aside and focus on amateur athletics, um, the point of the tournament is to crown a champion. It's to crown the best team in the country. Is there any scenario where we're leaving the best team in the country out of a bracket if we exclude teams that can't beat their league opponents more often than they lose to their league opponents. Like, uh, I, again, uh, we, can find, we can find an example here and there and whatever, but I kind of like that because what it, I, I like the idea of that because here's what it does. It gets rid of, and with all due respect, I, li- I, like, these, I like all these guys. Like, I like Michael White. I like Jim Beheim. But, like, those teams are like whatever. You know, like Florida and Syracuse are whatever. Um, and and, and, and it, it, it is possible that they're going to take spots away from a, a Valpo team that's like good, just doesn't get as many swings, doesn't get as many at bats as as a Syracuse or a Florida or a St. Mary's team that's good, but just doesn't get as many at bats as a Syracuse or Florida. I I would almost almost without exception prefer to see teams like Valpo, Monmouth, Hofstra, St. Mary's, Wichita State get in the field rather than an average power conference team. I know that's not the way it works, and I know that that also doesn't necessarily mean that Hofstra's better than Syracuse. Like, I'm not sure of that. But I just, like, I, at this point, we know what Syracuse is. We know what Florida is. I, I, I'm more interested in watching Hofstra play um, a, mm-hmm. a, a Big Ten second-place team than I am watching Florida play a Big Ten second-place team, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I'd much rather see those teams, uh, as I've said uh, in my, like, two-minute spiel there, I would just much rather watch these teams. And honestly, I think they have a better chance to win multiple games in the tournament. Like we saw with that Texas team last year uh, that had all of that talent and really struggled to put it together. They just weren't good whenever it came down to tournament time. Uh, That's just like one example of a mediocre high major team. They, They happen every year and they lose almost unflinchingly every year in the first round. I would rather watch these low major teams like uh, BYU last year, like uh, I, I don't even know. Like I'm trying to think of teams off the top of my head. Georgia but... last year, Georgia last year immediately pops to mind. Yeah, like there are so many examples of these low major team or mid major teams that you know you can think of off the top of your head when they make runs. And 
uh, you know, there just aren't that many high majors, you know. Like UCLA last year made a run. That, that's a good example of a team that they shouldn't have. They shouldn't have. They got hit because of a goaltending call. Realistically, they shouldn't have. <laughs> right. No, they, no, they were, yeah, no, I mean, no, no well, they actually yeah, I mean, shouldn't have. Yeah, no, like, one, like, no one had him in and they made it in. And then, two, um, they the officials blew the call at the end of the game. They shouldn't have even moved on. So there's something to that as well. And I think a lot of people listening agree with us purely from this standpoint, because when you look at Florida and you look at Syracuse and you look at UCLA, we see, yes, big-time programs with, with a lot of success, and, and maybe you know the tournament has a little more cachet with, when they're in it, but re- everyone knows that those schools have such a great chance on a year-in, year-out basis of getting back to the tournament, whereas with smaller schools, it can very much be magic-in-a-bottle kind of situation where you know it's once every four years within a single generation of a recruiting class, so to speak, that they really have that chance to to do something good and, and make a big chance at, at, at advancing or at least winning a game. Um, so, And we just like to see, especially in that first weekend, like, you know, we want to see the bigger schools get to the Final Four for the most part, but we definitely like having a few, you know, big boys get picked off and, and watching the, the joy of, of seeing a team get in and uh, and make some noise. So I'm right there with you. Um, now the question becomes, has, I mean, it's a full bubble, Gary. We got a full bubble here. Hashtag full bubble. <laughs> and so what's going to happen is, I, I will promise you this, um, a couple of these teams are going to get in. There's no way. I, I just, the committee will look at each team individually and it will put teams in based on who they think is the 36 best. But I guarantee you there is no shot they don't put any of them in because they know the hell that would rain down on that committee if they said no to Hofstra, no to Wichita State, no to St. Mary's, no to Valpo, no to Monmouth. There's zero chance none of them get in. There's zero chance all of them get in. If I had to lean one way or the other, I'd say three more likely than two. Uh, to me, Monmouth is the most interesting case because Georgetown and UCLA aren't good teams. And Monmouth has the worst losses of any of the teams I mentioned. And if we're not going to count Georgetown and UCLA to be good wins for Power 5, That's Power 6 problem. teams, right. we can't do it for Monmouth. I will say the only argument against that to a certain degree, and I think it's a valid argument the committee should be looking at, is the fact of the matter is when you're Monmouth, you simply don't have that many opportunities to make up for, as you're saying, with having getting a chance to play more schools, have more opportunities, more games against tournament teams. So I have no issue if the committee says, you know what, we're going to give them a little more here because they don't have as many opportunities. I think that's fair. But to me, Monmouth has had the highest highs and the lowest lows on its resume. So what is the committee going to do? Uh, when it comes to that, I, I, to me, I'm totally lost on Monmouth. I cannot tell you one way or the other what they're going to do because I have no feel for it. No, like with Monmouth. Okay, here, here's my question: okay. Has Monmouth had the highest highs? I know. What, what are their uh, highs? What are their highs besides their bench? Yeah, beating beating Notre Dame and USC. Like Gonzaga is better than both Notre Dame and USC. Um. Uh, I would say Notre Dame is better than Gonzaga personally. Even if some of the, I, I think Notre Dame is a better team than Gonzaga. Okay, I would say that two wins over Gonzaga, one road, one home, is better than wins over Notre Dame and USC. And you're referring and to St. Mary's, right? I am, yeah. You bring up St. Mary's non-conference schedule versus Monmouth's? Oh, it's nowhere near as difficult. Not even close. But I will they say also this. You know what I hate? Didn't go... I, I hate the non-conference schedule argument. 
Why it, it matters. I mean, you can I, hate it, but no, it matters in no, that no, room. No, 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 no. I know it matters because they reference it all the time. But, like, your complete schedule should matter. Like, people will look at an ACC team and say, oh, but they right. didn't play anybody out of schedule. Well, you don't. You shouldn't play anybody out of your conference if you're in the ACC. I mean, you should, whatever. But my point is, why, why do we focus so much on people's non-league schedules when we understand that their league schedules are so drastically different? Like Monmouth should right. all, Monmouth should always See? have a, a difficult non-conference schedule as a more difficult non-conference schedule as a, compared to most ACC teams because uh, like if you're in the ACC you're gonna get your games you're gonna get your at bats um, January on you don't need to schedule that aggressively outside of the league I I I understand you're exactly right Norlander it matters in that room the committee references all the time but I hate the non-conference schedule debate because. I think whether or not you have a, a good non-conference schedule should be reliant on what, what league you're actually in. Yeah, but then you get to a situation where the if that doesn't matter, the big schools are going to schedule crap teams. And, and one, it's awful for the sport if you're going to have mostly garbage for November and December. And two, they're going to simply rely on their league schedules that basically, so you're going to have pit every year, and that sucks. Oh, I don't agree that teams are going to schedule terribly in the non-conference because you gave, are you kidding me teams still want to make money if you gave coaches the ability to schedule you're not giving coaches the ability though coaches are not going to be making this decision you're still going to have athletic departments and athletic department chairs that are going to be like hey we need to make money at some point this off season or this non-conference season let's bring in a louisville i will tell you uh coaches mostly schedule their games like athletic departments don't really schedule basketball games too often No, no, no no i know that but my point is an athletic department's going to step in and say that, hey, like, you guys have nothing on your schedule. There are going to be no fans here, and we're going to be losing money on these games. You need to schedule someone. If it got bad enough, the athletics department, I think, would step in and do that. I don't think it would ever get bad enough for that reason. I guess my point is just a, a, a simple point, which is I don't look at, and I know the committee does, but I don't care about somebody's, quote, non-conference schedule I agree I, with you. Any more yeah. than I care about their quote conference schedule. Like people ask me all the time, who do they beat outside of the league? Well, I don't know. I just know what they, I just know who they've beaten. Like I just look at I just look at like, you know, all we always stress all the games matter. So let's talk about all the games. Like why do I care what happened outside the league as opposed to inside the league? Let's just talk about what what do they do? Let's hey, right. here's, who they, here's who they played, here's who they lost to, here's who they've beaten. Let's talk about that. Why does it matter whether it was outside the league or inside of the league? Because yeah, like Monmouth's, small, uh, Monmouth's schedule is 170th in the country. St. Mary's is 199 in the country. So there is a little bit of a difference here in schedule. Like Monmouth played a slightly more difficult schedule. But St. Mary's didn't go out and lose to Canisius, to Manhattan, and to Army. St. Mary's went out and beat Gonzaga twice. And, I mean, Monmouth went out and beat Notre Dame and USC and, you know, a couple other schools like UCLA and Georgetown that ended up being kind of crappy this year. So... Uh, I don't really see the argument for Monmouth. I mean, I see the argument for Monmouth over St. Mary's, but I don't agree with it by any means, especially when you watch the two teams play, to be honest. Here's what I would say. Okay, okay out of the ahead. group, Valpo, Monmouth, Hofstra, St. Mary's, Wichita State, those five, um, while recognizing it's a fluid situation and stuff will change, the bubble will shrink probably before some people even listen to this podcast. I bet two get in, three don't. And we can debate the three yeah. out of the two. Sure. But I would say two. And then two what's going to be... Yeah, yeah. Two of those okay. five get in, three don't. Yeah. And I bet Wichita, be, Wichita's yeah. one of the two. Yep. And you can easily... Yeah, I mean, it's... And there is going to be... 
it's just going to be the nature of the beast here. I mean, there's going to be contradictory evidence to anyone that gets in versus anyone that doesn't. I yep. get what you guys are saying, um, but you have inherent unfair advantages to mid-major teams if you're just simply going to say, let's look at the overall strength of schedule because they don't get to control what leagues they're in. And so when that happens, their strength of schedule overall gets it gets pulled down. Monmouth is in a much, much worse league I, than St. Mary's. I, but that, that, that's not my, my point isn't that I'm looking at um, somebody else's strength of schedule and saying, well, look at this compared to that. I don't even look at strength of schedule. Like I, I look, and I know they do, no, but I, I know. I, so how are you quantifying what teams are doing in terms of metrics? Because that's also going to weighs heavily in what the committee does. Very like simple. you have to, at, cer so, at certain so points, you can't just say, oh, they look, they beat that team, that team and that team. Those teams look good. Like you have to put analytics and, and metrics next to these things. And I think strength of schedule is one of many important facets. But strength of schedule is probably the most e easily manipulated, uh, number i i uh, yeah i agree you can, you can manipulate agree. that like crazy I, i'm with you i'm just i'm presenting the, like, the, here, here, the, here's the argument of the committee i totally agree i hate strength of schedule from the rpi and that's what right. you're using i think it's bogus right but it's the state of the affair right oh here. if i were in that room here's what i would say or if i were in charge of like shaping the way the committee uh, evaluates teams i'd say we're not even looking at conference strength of schedule non-conference strength of schedule we're not looking into that here's what we're going to do we're going to look at teams and we're going to go okay Here's the, here's the teams they've played. Here's who they've beaten. Here's who they've lost to. Here's where those games happened. Here is the, the margins uh, by which those games were decided. Now let's talk about it. And they don't talk, which I disagree with, but they don't discuss uh, on a tangible level. I think on an unconscious level, it's unavoidable. They don't care about margin of victory. To me, margin of victory is something that should absolutely matter because it matters that Wichita State beat Utah by 17 and not by one point. Sure. I understand that it can get weird and gray when you're talking about, well, what's the difference between one point and four points? Not that much, but there's a huge difference between one and 17. And I understand that you don't want to acknowledge people don't want to acknowledge because then coaches are going to try and run up the score. Well, whatever. I really personally don't give a damn about that. Margin <laughs> of victory has something to do with how well a team performs. And if we're going to evaluate that, it, we need to start taking that into the equation i just don't think we're anywhere close for the committee to acknowledge well, that. well here's here's the thing if they're taking into account ken palm they're taking they into are. account margin of victory right Correct. like <laughs> that's just kind of happening right right so right. i don't agree that they don't take it into, into account i do agree that they don't take it into account as much as they should i think that that's a totally fair statement but it's something that gets taken into account and i think it's probably a little bit unfair to paint the committee as something that doesn't uh, doesn't consider all factors. That's like their that. official, but that's their official stance. It is their official is stance, that... but it, but they cut. But when the, mm. here here's Sam's point. I think Sam, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think this is a good point. You can't say we don't consider margin of victory and also say we look at Ken Palm every day. Those right. two, those two things contradict each other. Right, they contradict but, each other. Because the, th the thing already you're baked in, if yeah, you're looking at Ken Palm anyway. Right, it's already baked in. The thing you're looking at every day considers margin of victory yes i know i understand there listen the committee is getting better and better with this but they also the committee wants to uh seed the field and select the 68 teams based on what has happened up to that point they don't want any sort of 
predictive element to it. They're not trying to forecast, oh, you know what? We think this team has been really awesome over the past six weeks, so we're going to bump them up a seed line. That's not what they do. Their stated goal is we're going to seed the field according to everything that has happened up to this point. But guess what? When you're using Ken Palm and you're using KPI, those have predictive elements into it. Sure. So there's another there's another factor there where you know it's not blatant, but if you're going to be referencing these things, there is some of that that, that sort of bleeds into the processes. No, you're exactly right. And I, I think what, what ultimately happens is you get – first off, I think this is important to stress. We're going to put 68 teams in the field. Every year, we all agree on about 65 of them, okay? Like by, by, yeah. by, the, by the time we get to Sunday afternoon, we will all agree on 65 of the 68. And then the way it usually goes down is – the final three spots, we're looking at about six or seven teams. And, and then it just comes down to whatever you want to see. You can see whatever you want to see. You can look at whatever you want to look at and, and interpret it however you want. You can draw from Kinpom. You can draw from the RPI. You can, you can uh, rely on a non-conference uh, strength of schedule. You can disregard a strength of schedule. But the truth is, 65 of these 68, we are all going to agree on like everybody would have them in the field. Go look at all the, like there's this, uh, websites that document everybody's bracket. Everybody has 65 of the same 68 teams. And then uh, you got three spots left and you got six or seven schools you're looking at for those three spots. And, and the committee will ultimately decide those however they feel like deciding them. And, and at, at that point, like I really do think this is the trick to being a bracketologist. On, uh, you know, on Sunday afternoon, after Jerry Palm and Joe Lenardi and Stuart Mend, everybody has the, the same 65 out of 68 teams. And then those last three, you're just guessing. You're just, you're just, you're just guessing and hoping to get, get it right. And the committee is, is they, they'll do, they'll see whatever they see. Like they can look at a team on Sunday afternoon and see something, um, that, you know, to justify putting a team in or not see something to justify leaving, you know, whatever. But that's the way this is going to go down, and so they'll they'll, they'll lean on Ken Palm if they if they need if they decide they want Wichita State in they will reference Ken Palm. If they decide they want Wichita State out, they'll reference the resume, and that's the way it goes down every year, right? Mostly, yeah. Um, I would even say most years it's it's even sixty six or sixty seven teams in some years, and there's really only one. But you're right with this year, we're going to have a, a pool of maybe three or four open spots and about ten teams. Syracuse being one of them because they lost against Pitt. Um, Syracuse, I mean, do you want to pull up that resume here? This is a super weird resume. I, I, I have no idea what the committee is going to do. They're 19 and 13. Good wins. UConn, solid win. Not amazing, whatever. Texas A&M, good win. They've beaten Duke at Duke. That's a hell of a win. They've beaten Notre Dame. Really solid win. But they lost against St. John's. Out. Lost. Just out. <laughs> you want to lose to St. John's? Out. <laughs> <laughs> There's, you know what? It's not. It's not a terrible. They lost at home to Clemson. Clemson got randomly hot for about three weeks and then just uh, dove off a cliff. But um, I would say Syracuse should be out. My guess, as of this recording. Is if they like right now, actually, as we're recording this, the committee has actually met and they're deliberating. It's Wednesday. This is the first day where they're they probably put like 20 teams definitely definitively in the bracket. They're in, you know, let's move on. Let's get into the nitty gritty. I bet if they field it right now, Syracuse would be like the last team in because I think those wins would carry him for now. I suspect they'll be bumped off. But do you guys disagree? Do you think this is going to be a team that gets in? <laughs> Sam, I'm with you. You lose against, you lose against St. John's. That's brutal. And maybe that is what does them in. Um, 
but they but they really do have some nice eyes there in that resume. Yeah, I bet they're probably out. But here's the interesting thing: as Jim Beheim held a press conference today and was sort of like campaigning for his team, like the uh, like the most rational way you can campaign for Syracuse is to throw Mike Hopkins under the bus, right? Like, that is, it's sort of an awkward situation for him. Like, he basically has to say, uh, my team's good enough if you take away the nine games that I was that I didn't coach. I mean, that's, that's essentially the argument, right? It is. Let me bring up real quick what he said, because I have the quote. I have it on a, in a different tab. I'm going to bring up right now. He is, listen, it, Bayheim has to make the... Uh, he has to make this this argument because honestly, when you're Syracuse and you're 19 and 13, it is what it is. He said, um, uh, "The basketball committee isn't the infractions committee. Their job is to pick the best teams for the tournament." These guys had these guys, meaning his players, had nothing to do with any of this. Referencing the you know decades long NCAA investigation that included academic uh, infractions, uh, drug issues. Uh, money from a rogue YMCA booster going to players. That's when he says had nothing to do with any of this. That's a pretty loaded statement. And they and he continued Beheim and should be evaluated on how well they played. They've been punished <laughs> enough. So Beheim's throwing a little guilt trip at the selection committee. I'm kind of impressed actually, and at the same time not even shocked at all because it's Jim Beheim. Well, the problem the problem with that is that the problem uh, is they've lost five of their last six games. Right, the committee is not going to like punish them further because of like whatever NCAA yeah. violations that happened years ago. The committee, to the extent that it'll punish them, and it won't be a punishment. That's the wrong verb. Um, it, it, you know, the, the, to the extent that the the committee will punish them, it'll it'll just be. Hey, we don't think you're good enough to be in the NCAA tournament in this particular season. Period. End of story. And like, that's not a crazy thing to say. They're probably they probably don't belong in the NCAA tournament, right? Yeah, I don't, I'm I'm not a huge fan of this team. Like, I I get that they their best performance of the year. I mean, was probably in Atlantis, right? Like, no, they won at one at Duke. They, they won the at Duke. Win. Which which is good. I mean, you go out and you win at Duke. That's a really big win, obviously. Um, but but like even their Atlantis win was okay. Like they beat Charlotte in the first round. Didn't have to play Texas. Didn't have to play. Uh, who else was there? Washington. They got, they got UConn, UConn and, and Texas A and M, who are fine. You know, like it, even that win there doesn't strike me as this awesome achievement. You know what I mean? So. I'm not I'm not sold on this team at all. I haven't really been sold on them all year. Uh, it's it's just fine. Let, let, like, yeah, let me just say this real quick on on Syracuse. If UConn wins the American tournament, which is reasonable, if A and M wins the SEC tournament, which is reasonable because they're the one seed, uh, Syracuse looks better. It's it's one of those weird things where like those games are so long ago, but and you know these teams winning mm-hmm. a few games late. Fact of the matter is, UConn's metrics and rankings are going to rise because because of it, and the committee is going to be in there together watching these games, and it's just and its reputation will go up because of it. So uh, if UConn is is quickly done in the American, and and A and M can't but win one game in the SEC, then maybe it hurts Syracuse even more. It's just you know I don't, I don't know what to expect there, but you know that was the one major huge bubble game that happened here on Wednesday before we recorded. Yeah, of course. If St. John's wins the Big East. Woo! Okay. Uh, that'd be something wouldn't it i would love it i I have to say i would love it Uh, i have to say i wouldn't (laughs) (laughs) how would you not enjoy a saint john's 
upstart surprising victory in the Big East. That would be hilarious. I can't deny that, I guess. The, the, yeah. the, the Chris Mullen thing, predict, okay, Chris Mullen will be the coach at St. John's three seasons from now. True or false? <laughs> <laughs> it's a true or false question. I'll say true. True. I'll say true. Okay. This Next. team was always going to be a disaster no, just no, because no. of how much they lost. Next question. Chris Mullen will be a successful coach at St. John's three seasons from now. He might Are we his... defining success by like NCAA tournament? Yeah, he'll make an NCAA tournament in his first four years. False. <sighs> That's tough, but I'll say false. I guess yeah, I, I don't know that I can even. They're, I, they've done reasonably well recruiting, though. So, like, th- there's no reason to think that this program, like, after this terrible season, won't be on at least, like, a slight upswing going into next year and then, like, going forward. I'll say I'll say false, just given what we what we have on their roster and who will be there in the future. But I don't know. That's a tough one. I, I don't think it's, like, a definite thing no like you know obviously when you make that hire you hope it's going to be fred hoiberg and not clyde drexler but um people don't seem excited like enthusiastic about where that seems to be going recruiting's going fine but um this season has been awful this was always going to be awful i agree but like i I guess sometimes there's like it's really really bad but you talk to people around a program or within a league and they say yeah but it's just wait it's coming Right, like to the extent that Mississippi State was bad this year, but like you look at you know it's been and you look at the recruiting class and you go okay it's it's coming or even like Bruce Pearl at Auburn like it's been bad but you look at the you know the ways recruiting you know it's Bruce Pearl you go all right just yeah this is tough but like give it a minute it, it, he'll get it I don't know you know what, what like even the team they're playing tonight like Marquette like most people were pretty right. excited about Marquette even though. They went like what, like twelve and twenty last year. That's or something? another good example. There are still people who believe that Wojo is going to get that going, right? Um, I don't, <laughs> I don't sense that when we t- when I talk to people about St. John's. That's that certainly doesn't feel like. Um, I think that's fair. The prevailing thought that oh, just give Mullen time and he's gonna, it's a home run. I don't, I don't hear that often, and by often I mean never. I never hear it. I think it's questionable. Like I look at what they have on their roster. Like they're going to have Marcus Lovett next year. Who's a pretty good talent. They're going to have Shamori Pons. Richard Freudenberg is a kid from Germany. Who's actually really good. Uh, that probably will start for them almost immediately. Uh, and then they have the big guys who block shots inside Yakwe And what's the other, I don't even remember what the other kid's name is, but like this team isn't a disaster. I don't think like it's a young team that, doesn't have a lot of, you know, experience yet and a lot of talent yet, but I can at least, I can at least like look at it and say like, you know, if these guys get better in the off season and they bring in these kids, I can see how this turns around. You know what I mean? Like, it's not crazy to me. You just, you just, you just went optimistic with St. John's by saying this team isn't a disaster. So clearly the bar (laughs) is, is well above our arms and shoulders. Yeah. It's not not crazy to think that they could turn it around. Here's what's crazy. It's March, and we spent four minutes talking about St. John's. I was thinking about that as, as you guys were going on. I was All like, right. whatever you guys want to do, man. You want to go Red Storm talk here on uh, uh. <laughs> the March, the, the Championship <laughs> Week podcast featuring St. John's debates. All right, let's uh, before we get out of here, um, Buddy Denzel. It was a few. Yes. It was a month ago. 
where it looked like Buddy Hill was running away with the National Player of the Year awards uh, because he was having an unbelievable season. He's still having an unbelievable season uh, in totality, but uh, Denzel has certainly closed that gap. Norlander, you wrote about this. What did you find out? Where are you at on the Buddy Hill-Denzel-Valentine debate? Yes, uh, I have a piece up if people would like to to read it. Maybe GP will link it in the podcast post. But uh, first of all, this is, I think, undeniably the closest best player of the year race since Reddick and Morrison. Uh, just real Shout quick, I'll Adam run. Morrison. What's up? Shout out to Adam Morrison. There you go. Love Adam Morrison. Um, Kaminsky had some separation against Okafor last year. McDermott, no question, in, in 14. 2013, uh, Trey Burke was pretty clearly the winner over Oladipo. 2012 was Anthony Davis being a freak. 2011 was Jimmer Mania, although Kemba Walker and Sullinger had good years that year. It was kind of Jimmer uh, decidedly. Evan Turner in 2010 was, I think, the turning point for people to look beyond traditional statistics. That was, I mean, Turner became like an absolute freak. And I really feel like that was the year where people started looking more at tempo free stuff. And he won easily over John Wall. 2009, uh, Blake Griffin, I forgot about this. Blake Griffin actually swept the awards over Hansborough in Hansborough's senior year when the year before in 08, Hansborough was like the decided winner, not even close. In, in 07, Durant was an easy winner. So it was Redick and Morrison was the last time that we saw something like this. Um, there was controversy. I found out that uh, that those guys split the U.S. via WA vote uh, for Player of the Year, and a lot of people didn't like it. I have no memory of this, but apparently it was just like a people thought saw it as a huge cop out. So I can say from inside the organization, I promise you there will not be a split vote there. Um, it will be one or the other. I have a whole bunch of stats listed. I'm not going to get into it totally. I right now, I lean Denzel barely, but. Uh, I one I love that we have not handed out our Player of the Year award. Because That's the I other thing. That... Like I'm glad we don't we don't usually do that till much later because if you do it now, first yes, off, um, I agree. Yeah. You you miss the whole you miss Kimball Walker in the Big East tournament if you do it now. Yes, you should Correct. wait. I think you why why give out an, a, an award like that before even but I I can actually understand it after all the conference tournaments are done. Okay, everything conference tournaments are done. The Monday after Selection Sunday, we're giving out our national awards. I, I can get down with that. But to give them out before sure. the conference tournaments even go down, that doesn't make any sense to me. No, the conference tournaments are basically part of the regular season, even if they're technically postseason, because those games count toward the seeding of the one thing that sure. really matters in college basketball. So why shouldn't we have that uh, have that count as well? So um, the thing that makes it interesting is both teams right now projected one seeds on our bracketology. They're really, really close. Denzel is the better overall player. Uh, Buddy has more points per game. Um, I mean, there's they, they, you know, Buddy right now uh, is on pace to have the third best season in history in college basketball from three point line. Um, Steph Curry has the best the year they they went uh, to the Elite Eight. He was able to sink 162 threes. But Buddy, by the way, has been a much better shooter on percentage wise from three than Curry ever was in college. Um, Buddy's one of the best. Uh, free throw shooters in the sport they're about they are exactly the same like i got into some like fucking tempo uh, tempo free stuff but like win shares they're they're the same valentine's got a better per i barely give it to valentine i think valentine's a little more valuable michigan state's been a little bit better he did have that injury and if he didn't have the injury i think maybe he might even have a little bit more room ahead of buddy but buddy has had 15 25 point games and i'll be honest if buddy goes off and oklahoma reaches the big 12 championship game and he averages 32 33 points over that stretch i'd have no issue giving him the award i just like the fact that we actually have 
like a legitimate debate. Whereas a month ago, everyone was saying that it was Buddy's to win, or I mean, Buddy was going to win it no matter what, not even that it was his to lose. And here's Valentine. I have Valentine barely. I mean, what do you guys think right now? If we had to do it right now before right. we get to their their tournament games, would you go Buddy or Denzel? Sam, what would you do? Yeah, I think Denzel. I uh, I do get the Buddy argument. I think that Buddy's tailed off a little bit down the stretch, though, whereas Denzel's been pretty much just like dominant throughout the year of the games that he's played, at least. I mean, he hasn't really had that down stretch, has he? I mean, a couple of games right after he came back from injury, but he's been really, really good early. He's been really, really good throughout the middle of the year in the Big Ten, and then he's been really, really good late. Like, that matters to me, I guess, whenever you're trying to kind of tie-break this thing. I do get that, you know, Buddy is kind of the story of the college basketball season in a lot of ways because of the three-pointer becoming so uh, just ubiquitous in the college game as it has in the NBA game. But in a lot of ways, I think I do just kind of lean Denzel. He does a little bit more for me than Buddy does all over the floor uh, beyond the scoring. So uh, I would go Denzel, I think, yeah. This is one of those deals where, you know, there are some awards where I, I think there's one right answer and everything else is stupid. Like Big 12, yeah. coach, like Big 12 coach of the year. I think there's one right answer and everything else is stupid. Uh, we all know you love Tubby. Let's keep going. But like, this is one. I don't think there's a dumb answer. Like I, I, I could argue yeah. for Buddy. I could argue for Denzel. Here's what I would say. Um, it's still up for grabs. If you haven't given it out yet, it's still very much up for grabs. So I will, I'll wait. I'm not going to tell you who's going to win it. I don't know. I'll let them decide it. If I had to vote right now, based on what we've seen to this minute, I think I'd vote Denzel. I think I'd, I think Denzel Valentine would be the National Player of the Year at this moment. He's been terrific, and it's not empty stats. You know, neither of these guys have empty oh, stats. Yeah. yeah, like I mean, they're both doing it for possible one seeds. So like, yeah. either one's deserving. I got no like I wouldn't write the equivalent of a poll text column. Uh, uh, targeted at anybody voting for either one. I think at this moment I'd vote for Denzel, but if you wanted to vote for Buddy, I I, I can completely understand why. It's been they both I, been terrific, yeah. and they both. I posted been, a yeah, poll. Yeah, yeah, and like, and like, yeah. Go ahead. I just I posted a poll on Twitter and it's fifty six forty four in favor of Buddy, which is surprising, uh, at about eight hundred votes right now. So I thought Denzel would actually have more votes, and uh, the public right now uh, certainly leans it's a clinton sanders situation like they're both in it but uh but healed is uh is clinton in this thing certainly an advantage so yeah no no no. you think you think think that you think denzel valentine's a socialist that's what you're saying norlander (laughs) is that what you're saying this podcast took a dark turn (laughs) is that what you're saying go ahead sam go ahead um i was gonna say that like honestly i am someone that gets like kind of crazy about these awards in a way that you know i probably shouldn't care as much as i do um and i typically think that there is a right answer like gary like there's even more so than gary in a way like i'm someone that yelled at people for voting uh marvell harris over josh adams in the (laughs) mountain west yeah that's your that's your problem like, yeah, like seriously, like I am someone that I ain't, I ain't will get, do that. I, I ain't getting fired up about a Marvel Harris vote. No, seriously. <laughs> but in, in this case, I agree with Gary. I would not get upset either way about if you voted Healed or Valentine. It's that close. They've been that good all year. They've been just remarkable, you know, stories of the college basketball season in a lot of ways. And I don't think that you can give a wrong vote in this situation unless you're voting for Tyler Ulis. <laughs> uh, you don't think Tyler Ulysses is a national player of the year candidate, Sam? 
not next to these two. I think he's the third best player in the country. But yeah, yeah that's fine. That, 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 that is honestly my the same sort of logic about the Big 12 coach of the year. Like, I, I don't think Tubby, Tubby can finish second. That's fine with me. Like, sometimes people say when you sometimes people think when you say there's no way that person should win an award, it means you think they suck. That's not true. I'm the guy that wrote the Tubby Smith column three weeks ago. Like, Tubby should finish second, just can't finish first. First makes no sense. Same thing with Tyler Ulis. I, I get, like, can't be National Player of the Year, but can he be, like, first-team All-American? Absolutely. I got no issue with that. Yeah. Yeah, like Malcolm Brogdon. Yeah, same thing. Should, right. First-team All-American probably should not be in this discussion with Buddy Heald and Denzel. No, it's a, buddy, it's a Buddy-Denzel debate, and, uh, and they will figure it out uh, over the next week or so. You ready to get out of here? I got to go. Yeah, we'll chat. Uh, we'll chat in the morning. I'm gonna go through. I'm gonna go uh, download Kimoji now. You should get you, it. You, it, you, only, it only costs a dollar, Norlander. You should get it. We could send. No it. shot. I do that. But how about this? How about your first emoji? Like you tweet out the podcast with some Kimojis, and then people will be like, "What's that about?" Then they'll listen to the podcast, and they'll realize, "Aha! I've understood it now." They might not understand <laughs> it at all, but they'll get it where we're coming from. I'm not even certain I understand it, Norlander, and I'm the one that talked about it for five minutes at the top of a college basketball podcast. Think about that. We did a 50 minute podcast during championship week. Five minutes spent on Kimojis, five minutes spent on St. John's. Who could have predicted that? I have my regrets. I, have my I regrets could probably too. could have predicted that, given how often we go off the rails here. All right. Shout out to Kimoji. Shout out to Chris Mullen. We're going to talk to you again on Friday morning. Until then, take care.